Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Yeshua. Thank you, Jehoshua. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. You are the reason, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Yeshua, for the love. About a dream that dates back to 1937. It was had by a 17-year-old boy, and it caused quite a stir among the Pentecostal people at that time throughout America because it was publicized in this magazine, Prophecies of Tomorrow. And I'd always just been able to get excerpts of it. Somebody said he said this and saw this and saw this. But the other day I was sitting up there at, uh, in uh, Canada and a young boy asked me, began to ask me questions about the earthquake because he'd heard my sermons on prophecy and began to ask me and one of them spoke up and says, well, he ever heard this? And uh, Danny O'Million is the one who did. He said, well, Brother Green, I, I know where that is. So they looked me up a copy of it that, that their father had way back a long time ago. Now, I want to uh, give you some dates on this so that you'll, you'll understand and try to get the feeling of it. 1906 is when the San Francisco earthquake occurred. You know, the one everybody talks about, the great <coughs> San Francisco earthquake. Now, that one happened at the beginning of the year, and then right about that time, the Azusa Street Revival happened also. Were you aware of that? That you know that they, they came together. There was a, and there were some people then that felt that the earthquake in San Francisco was a sign from God and that, that it caused people to be receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ in Azusa Street. This young boy had had an accident. <clears throat> he was riding his horse, and he fell off of the horse, and he was in the hospital. And he had had a severe headache. I don't know whether he had a head injury or what it was, but this, the best that I can decipher it, he dreamed four nights in a row. And each night, a little bit more detail. Some of the things was repeated. So I want you to notice as I read this, keep in mind it was in 1937. And remember the things that were not available in 1937 that were not there, that he saw. Now, this created a stir in 1938 when it was published. But they didn't know then whether these things were going to be. But when you see now that things that he saw have come to pass, then we should look at it and say, well, he was someplace. Remember in the film, Deep Called Deep, Brother Bram said, you take a dreamer. He says, dream me a dream. You can't dream a dream if you want to. He said, now, a seer says his subconscious knowledge right here and said he can dream a dream with his eyes wide open. But some people have a deep subconscious and they go to sound asleep and they never dream a dream. But he said, if you dream a dream, that's part of you that's somewhere. That's another dimension. So let me try to give you this tonight in a few minutes. There's about four or five pages of it here. And let me just give it to you. He said, I, uh, I was in the hospital room with a terrific headache. And he said, it was as the whole world was revolving inside my brain. Vaguely, the fall from my horse, Blackie, 
And as I lay there, pictures began to form in my mind. Pictures that moved with the speed of lightning, but pictures that stood still. I seemed to be in another world, whether it was in the future or whether it was in some ancient land, I can't say. Then slowly, like the, like the screen of the talkies, but with color and smell and sound. Remember, it was silent movies back then. I seemed to find myself in Los Angeles. It was Los Angeles. It was bigger, much bigger. There were buses and odd-shaped cars crowded the city streets. I thought about Hollywood Boulevard, and I found myself there on Hollywood Boulevard. Whether this is true, I don't know, but there was a lot of guys about my age, 17, but they had beards, and some of them were wearing earrings. All the girls wore short skirts, and they slouched along, moving like a dance. He said, I wondered if I could talk to them. I said, hello, but they didn't hear me or see me. I decided that I would look as funny to them as they looked to me. I tried for a while, but that crazy kind of walk, I guess it's something you have to learn. I couldn't do it. How many of you know what he's talking about now? I noticed there was a quiet, a kind of stillness, as if you could hear stillness. Something, something was missing, something that, that should be here. At first, I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know what it was, but then I did. There were no birds. I listened. I walked two blocks north on the boulevard, past all the houses, but no birds. I wondered what had happened to them. Had they gone away? Where? It was as still I could hear the stillness. I'd never experienced anything like that, but I listened. Just stillness. Then I knew something was going to happen. I wondered what year it was. It certainly was not 1937. I saw a newspaper on the corner with a picture of the president. It wasn't Mr. Roosevelt. He was bigger, heavier, had big ears. If it wasn't 1937, I wondered what year it was. I looked at the mast of the headline, and I, I couldn't quite make it out, but it looked like 1969. I wasn't sure. My eyes weren't functioning on it, but something was coming, and it was. The nurse woke me up to take my temperature. I woke up thinking, what a crazy dream. The next night, he said, my headache is worse. It's a wonder I didn't get killed on that horse. I've had another crazy dream. It was back in Hollywood. I saw those people, and I wondered, why did they dress like that? I found myself back on the boulevard, but this time I was waiting for there was something to happen. Something big was going to happen, and, and I was going to be there. I looked up at the clock down by that big theater, it was 10 minutes to 4, 3.50 in the afternoon. That's where all the movie stars put their handprints and footprints and names and all. I recognized a few of them. The other names I'd never heard. Those crazy kids. Why are they all dressed like that? Maybe, maybe it's some Halloween doings or something. But it don't seem like Halloween.
He had pretty good perception, didn't he? He said it was more like early spring. There was that sound again, that or that lack of sound. Stillness, stillness, stillness. He wondered, don't these people know that the birds have gone somewhere? The quiet is getting bigger and bigger. I know it's going to happen. Something's going to happen. It's happening now. And again, the nurse woke him up. The next night, he dreamed again. Where have I been? He said, brother, where haven't I been? I've been to the ends of the earth and back. I've been to the end of the world. There isn't anything left, not even Fresno, even though I'm, I'm lying right there this minute. So he was in the hospital in Fresno. If only my eyes would get a little clearer so I could write all this down, nobody will believe me anyway. I'm going back to that last moment on the boulevard. He said this, some sweet kid went past, and he's talking about a girl that he saw. Said she was dragging little boys, twins, I guess, one by each hand. Her skirt was up, well, pretty high, and she had a tired look. I thought for a minute I could ask her about the birds, what had happened to them, and then I remembered she didn't see me. Her hair was all frizzy, way out all over her head. 1937, young girl, twin, miniskirt, looking like she's tired. You ever seen one under the influence? Frizzy hair. A lot of them I looked at looked like that, but she looked so tired and like she was sorry about something. I guess she was sorry before it happened because it surely did happen. There was a funny smell. I don't know where it come from. I didn't like it. A smell like sulfuric acid, a smell like, like death. For a minute, I thought I was back in, in chemistry class. When I looked around for the girl, she was gone. I wanted to find her for some reason. It was as if I knew something was going to happen and I could stay with her and help her. But she was gone and I walked half a block, then saw the clock again. My eyes seemed glued on that clock. I couldn't move. I just waited. It was five minutes to four o'clock on a sunny afternoon. I thought I would stand there looking at that clock forever, waiting for the something to come. Then when it came, it was nothing. It was just nothing. <clears throat> it wasn't nearly as hard as the earthquake that we'd had two years before, and that's the one in 1935. The ground shook just an instant. People looked at each other, surprised. Then they laughed. I laughed too. So this was what I had been waiting for, this funny little shake. It meant nothing. I was relieved, and I was disappointed. What had I been waiting for? I started back up the boulevard, moving my legs like those kids. How did they do that? He said, I never found out. I, I felt as if the ground wasn't solid under me. I knew I was dreaming, and yet I wasn't dreaming. There was that smell again coming like from the ocean. I was getting to the 5 and 10, Newberry, and I saw the look on the kids' faces. Two of them were right in front of me coming my way. 
both with beards and one with earrings. One said, let's get out of this place. Let's go back east. He seemed scared. It was as if the sidewalks were trembling, but you couldn't seem to see them. Not with your eyes, you couldn't. And an old lady had a dog, a little white dog, and she stopped and looked scared and grabbed him in her arms and said, let's go home, Frog. Mama's going to take you home, that poor little old lady hanging on to her dog. I got scared, real scared. I remembered the girl. She was way down the block, probably. I started to run. I ran and ran, and the ground kept trembling. I couldn't see it. <coughs> I couldn't feel it, but I knew it was trembling. Everybody looked scared. They looked terrible. <coughs> One young lady just sat down on the sidewalk all doubled up. She kept saying, earthquake, it's the earthquake, over and over. But I couldn't see that anything was different. Then when it came, how it came, like nothing in God's world, like nothing. It was like the scream of a siren, long and low, or the scream of a woman that I had heard giving birth when I was a child. It was awful. It was as if something, some monster was pushing up the sidewalk. You felt it long before you saw it, as if the sidewalks wouldn't hold anymore. Let me stop right here and tell you that we have a tape recording of, a, of an earthquake that happened in Caracas, Venezuela. A brother was dubbing one tape into another, Brother Galdonas, and the earthquake happened down there, which was about a 6.5, and he had the tape recorder running, just taking it from one recorder to another without a wire, and the earthquake came, and it does. At first, it sounded like a siren coming, and when it got the noise, came to the highest peak, it sounded like about 10,000 motorcycles had passed, and you could hear it go off into the distance. I think we've still got that tape somewhere, but when I read this, I thought of that because I played that at the church years ago. He said, I looked out at the cars. They were honking. They just kept moving. They didn't seem to know yet that anything was happening. Then a little white car, baby half-sized one, came sprawling from the inside lane right against the curb. 1937, all the cars were alike. But when he saw this, there was big ones and there was little baby cars. He said that baby half-size one came sprawling from the inside lane right against the curb. The girl who was driving it just sat there. <clears throat> she sat there with her, with her eyes staring as if she couldn't move. But I could hear her. She whimpered like a little girl. She made funny noises. I watched her thinking of the other girl. I said that it was a dream and I would wake up, but I didn't wake up. The shaking had started again, but this time different. It was a nice shaking, like a, like a cradle being rocked for a minute. And then I saw the middle of the boulevard seemed to be breaking in two. The concrete looked as if it had been pushed straight up by some giant shovel. It was breaking in two. That's why the girl's car went out of control. And then a loud sound again, like I've never heard before. Then hundreds of sounds, all kinds of sounds children and women and those crazy guys with earrings. They were all moving, it seemed. Some of them above the sidewalk. I can't describe it. They were lifted up, and the waters kept oozing and oozing. The cry 
It was awful. I woke up. I never want to have that dream again. The next night, he dreamed again. It came again. Like the first time, which was a preview, and all I could remember what it was that it was the end of the world. I was right back there with all that crying, right in the middle of it. My eardrums felt that they were going to burst, noise everywhere, people falling down, some of them badly hurt, pieces of buildings, chips flying in the air. One hit me hard on the side of the face, but I didn't seem to feel it. I wanted only to wake up to get away from that place. It had been fun in the beginning, the first dream, what I kind of knew I was going to dream the end of the world or something, but this was terrible. There were older people in the car. Most of the kids were on the street. But those old guys were screaming and hollering as if anybody could help them. Nobody could help them. It was then I felt myself lifted up. Maybe I had died. I don't know. But I was over the city. It was tilting toward the ocean like tilting a picnic table. The buildings were holding better than you could believe. They were holding. They were standing. The people who saw that the buildings and they tried to cling to them or get inside, it was fantastic. Like a building had a will of its own. Everything else breaking around them and they were holding, holding. I was up over them looking down. I started to root for them. Hold that line. I said, hold that line. Hold it. I wanted to cheer it or shout to scream. If the buildings held, those buildings on the boulevard, maybe the girl with the two kids, maybe she could get inside. It looked that way for a long time, maybe three minutes. Three minutes was like forever. Everybody was trying to get inside. They were going to hold. You knew they were going to hold, even if the waters kept coming up. Only they didn't. In 1937, they did not have building codes to satisfy earthquakes. Now they do. Most of the buildings in Los Angeles now have been built to withstand earthquakes. And this boy had this dream about these buildings before they ever put that code in effect. He said, I've never imagined <clears throat> what it would be like for a building to die. A building dies just like a person that gives way. Some of the bigger ones did just that. They began to crumble like an old man with palsy <clears throat> who couldn't take it anymore. They crumbled right down to nothing. And the little ones screamed like mad over and above the roar of the people. They were mad about dying, but the buildings died. I couldn't look anymore at the people. I kept wanting to get higher. I kept willing myself to go higher. Then I seemed to be out of it all, but I could see. I seemed to be up on top of Big Bear near San Bernardino. But the funny thing was that I could see everywhere. I knew what was happening. The earth seemed to tremble again. I could feel it, though, even though I was up high. This time it lasted maybe 12 seconds, and it was gentle. You couldn't believe anything so gentle could cause so much damage. But then I saw the streets of Los Angeles and everything between the San Bernardino Mountains and Los Angeles. It was all tilting toward the ocean, houses, everything that was left. I could see the big lanes, dozens of big lanes, still loaded with cars, five lanes in some places and all the cars sliding in the same way. No freeways in 1937. No five-lane streets. 
1937. Now the ocean was coming in, moving like a huge snake across the land. I wondered how late it was, and I could see the clock. Even though I wasn't there on the boulevard, boulevard it was 429. It had been half an hour. I was glad I couldn't hear the crying anymore, but I could see everything. Then, like looking at a huge map of the world, <clears throat> I could see what was happening on the land and with people. San Francisco was feeling it, <clears throat> but she was in no way like Hollywood or Los Angeles. I, I seemed to see it was the garlic fault, not just the San Andrews that was rocking San Francisco. It was moving just like that earthquake movie with Jeanette MacDonald and Clark Gable. I could see all those mountains coming together, the Sierra Nevada, San Andrews, and Garland. I knew what was going to happen to San Francisco. It was going to turn over because of Garland Fault. It would turn upside down. It went quickly because of the twisting. I guess it seemed much faster than Hollywood, but then I wasn't exactly there. I was a long way off. I shut my eyes for a long time, I guess 10 minutes, and when I opened them, I saw the Grand Canyon. When I looked at the Grand Canyon, <clears throat> the great big gap was closing in. Boulder Dam was being pushed from underneath. And then Nevada and on up to Reno, way down south to Baja, California. Mexico, too. It looked like some volcano down there was erupting along with everything else. I saw the map of South America, especially Colombia. Another volcanic eruption, shaking violently. Venezuela seemed to be having some kind of volcanic activity. Way off at the distance, I could see Japan on a fault, too. It was so far off, not easy to see, because I was still up on Big Bear Mountain, but Japan started to go into the sea. I couldn't tell time then, and the people looked like dogs far away. I could hardly see it. In a minute or two, it seemed over. Everybody was gone. Nobody was left. I didn't know time now. I couldn't see a clock. I tried to see the island of Hawaii. I could just see huge tidal waves beating against it. The people on the streets were getting wet, and they were scared, but I didn't see anybody going into the sea. I seemed way around the globe, more flooding. Is the world going to be drenched? Constantinople, Black Sea rising, Suez Canal for some reason seemed to be drying up. Sicily, she didn't hold. I could see the map, Mount Etna shaking. A lot of this area seemed to go, but it seemed to be earlier or later. I wasn't sure of the time now. In England, huge flood, but no tidal waves. Water, water everywhere, but no one going in the sea. People were frightened and crying. Some places they fell in the streets on their knees and started to pray for the world. I didn't know the English people were emotional, but Ireland and Scotland, all kind of churches were crowded. It seemed night and day. People were carrying candles, and everybody was crying for California. Nevada, parts of Colorado, maybe all of it, even Utah. Everybody was crying. Most of them didn't even know anybody in California. Nevada, Utah, but they were crying as if they had blood kin, like one family, like it happened to them. New York came into view. She was still there. Nothing had happened, yet water level was way up. Here things were different. People were running in the streets yelling, end of the world. Kids ran into the restaurants and ate everything they could get their hands on. 
I saw a shoe store with all the shoes gone in about five minutes. Fifth Avenue, everybody running. You see that here what he did is he saw rioting and looting, which you didn't have in 1937. Some radio blasting from a loudspeaker that in a few minutes the power might be put off. They must console themselves. Five girls were running like mad toward the YWCA, that place on Lexington or somewhere. They ran like they were scared to death. But nothing was happening in New York. I saw an old lady with garbage cans filling them with water. Everybody seemed scared to death. Some people looked dazed. The streets seemed filled with loudspeakers. It wasn't daylight. It was night. I saw like the next day and something, everything was topsy-turvy. Loudspeakers again, about fuel tanks broken in areas. Storage of oil. People seemed to be looting markets. I saw a lot of places that seemed safe and people were not scared, especially the rural areas. Here everything was almost as if nothing had happened. People seemed headed to these places, some on foot, some on cars, but some had run out of fuel. I heard, or somehow I know, but somewhere in the Atlantic, land had come up, a lot of land. I was getting awful tired and I wanted to wake up. I wanted to go back and check on that girl to know where she was and those two kids. I found myself back in Hollywood. It was still 4:29. I wasn't up on Big Bear then. I was perched right over Hollywood. I was just there, and it seemed perfectly natural in my dream. I could hear now. I could hear someplace a radio station blasting out, telling people not to panic. <clears throat> they were dying in the streets. There were pictures, movies. Some right in Hollywood, they were carrying on with all the shaking. One fellow in the picture was a little short guy who, who could have been scared to death, but he wasn't. He kept shouting and reading instructions, something about some kind of a plane that hovers overhead that's coming over. Two things he saw. Television, the pictures flashing, and helicopters, which wasn't in 1937. But I knew they couldn't. Things were happening in the atmosphere. The waves were rushing up now, such waves, nightmare waves. Then I saw again Boulder Dam going up, pushing together, breaking apart. No Grand Canyon. It was pushing together. Boulder Dam was breaking apart. It was still daylight. All these radio stations went off the same time. <clears throat> Boulder Dam had broken. I wondered how everybody would know about people back east. That was when I saw ham radio operators. I saw them in the oddest places, if it were, if I were right there with them, like little guy with glasses that kept sounding the alarm. One kept saying, this is California, we're going into the sea. This is California, we're going into the sea. Get to the high places, get to the mountains. All states west, this is California, we're going to the, we're going to the, I thought he was going to say sea, but I could see him. He was inland. But the waters had come in. His hand was still clinging to the table. He was going to get up so that once again he could say, This is California. We're going into the sea. I seemed to hear this over and over for what seemed hours. Just those words. They kept it up to the last minute, all of them calling out, Get to the mountains. This is California. We're going into the sea. I woke up. It didn't seem as if I had been dreaming. I have never been so tired. For a minute or two, I thought it had happened. I wondered about two things. I hadn't found out what happened to that girl. 
I've been thinking about it. I'm going home tomorrow. It was just a dream. It was nothing more. Nobody in the future of Hollywood Boulevard is going to wear earrings and those beards. Nothing like that's ever going to happen. That girl was just so real to me. That girl with those two kids, it won't happen. But if it did, how could I tell her? Maybe she isn't even born yet. To move away from California when she has her twins so she can't be on that boulevard that day. She was so real. The other thing, those ham operators hanging on like that over and over saying the same thing. This is California. We're going into the sea. This is California. We're going into the sea. Get to the mountains. Get to the hilltops. California, Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, Utah. This is California. We're going into the sea. He says, I guess I'll hear that for the rest of my life. Well, it's just a dream. But let me tell you, I think it's going to happen like that someday. I think it's going to happen like that someday. And I want to know, are we going to be somewhere listening for our name? Or are you just going to say, well, it's just another earthquake? No, it's going to be the last. And I believe when that one happens, there's going to be a resurrection. And I, I'm not one prone to say this, but I, I don't think you'll be safe to wait until it happens to make things right with God. There's an awful lot of people preaching today, the lambs off of the mercy seat. And I believe that once God lets it begin to rain, I don't think anybody else got me ark. And I, I don't see salvation. The faith of you being forgiven and cleansed of your sins being of effect after judgment strikes the earth. I just think it breaks a pattern. Someday, I believe, God will show us as a people that it's going to happen. Now the decision has been made by God that he will bring the judgment to the earth. He will start shaking the earth like never before. And the judgment that are coming very soon now, okay, will now be hold back. The Father will now hold back. The Father will bring the judgment to the earth, okay. And the earthquake that is tied with California, Okay, and have he shown other people? It's, it's tied with Mexico, Argentina, and many other countries around. This earthquake will practically destroy California. And the Lord has warned the people in California, his people, to get out of California. All of their world die in California. Okay, unless you got a specific word from the Lord to stay in California, that the Lord will protect you. Okay, if the Lord tells you that, that's fine. But the people that have not received a word from the Lord directly, 
that he will protect them in California. You need to get out of California as soon as possible. Okay? Now, the other thing the Lord showed me is, beside the earth that is coming to California, that many have called me uh, a liar, a full prophet. It doesn't matter. They say that too about the Lord and about the prophets. It don't mind me. Don't, don't really take my sleep away. No way. Praise the Lord. I'm glad for those people that are coming against me. All right? Because that proves that I've been called by the Lord. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ for my enemy. Praise the Lord for my enemy. I praise God for my enemy. It's a blessing to have enemies because they show who you are before God. Praise the Lord. And I, I thank God for my enemy. All right? And, and that God will have mercy on their soul. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Soon as after this earthquake comes in California, there's a soon-to-come tsunami. All right? Very close after the earthquake in California happens. All right? The Lord's been speaking to me about this mostly showing the, these things to me, and, and, and this earthquake, this tsunami that is coming after the earthquake in California, it's going to hit New York, it's going to hit New Jersey, Connecticut will be affected, and Boston, downtown Boston will be affected very, very bad, okay, and I see the damage after this tsunami hit, all right, and I see Boston, most of the city destroyed underwater, New York, Underwater, New Jersey underwater, and many other states will be underwater, many other cities. Alright? Now, if, if you are living right now in one of these cities or one of these states, you need to seek the Lord, whether He wants you to stay where you are. Okay? Because the Lord has been speaking to people in New York directly to them through dreams, and many spiritual experience where he's been telling them that they need to get out now. Okay? Just today, the Lord has spoken to people in California who's been waiting for a word to get out. The Lord has spoken to them, get out, get out, get out. Because they will die if they stay. So this is very important, brothers and sisters, that are watching me, that you go to the Lord. And you ask the Lord, or if you have a prophet in your church, which is a true prophet of God, you need to seek the Lord for his protection, for his leading. You need to have the Holy Spirit lead you in the decision whether to get out, yes or not. If the Lord tells you to stay where you are, he will protect you. Okay? Like he told me here where I am, the tsunami will come close to where I am. But the Lord has told me very clearly, and the Father himself too, I don't want you to move from that apartment. I want you to stay there. I will protect you and your family there, right where you are. So this is why I haven't, I haven't looked for another apartment. I haven't moved to another apartment. I got order from God the Father to stay in this apartment. And I'm listening to God, and I will now move. All right. He has confirmed this to me through another prophet, and he's been very clear to me. He wants me here. He told me he got powerful angel protecting me, all right, and he will not let anything harm me, all right, as long as I stay in obedience with him. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's very important, brothers and sisters, that you are seeking the Lord, okay, 
after the second tsunami, okay, there will come another tsunami. Alright. This is a much bigger tsunami. Okay? It won't be within months after this one. After the second one. But once that that third that second tsunami comes, there will be a third tsunami. Greater than that. The Father has made his decision. Okay? To destroy great part of the earth with great part of the people. Millions will die. Okay? And the Lord has shown to me the soon as the earthquake in California hit and the tsunami, thousands of people will, will, will come to my house seeking for a word from the Lord. I will have thousands of people in front of my house and He showed me I couldn't get out of my house because there's so many people Asking me, brother, brother, what's coming next? What's coming next? Okay? I've been very specific from the Lord. I have received direction from the Lord. I have the Lord standing in front of me, standing in front of me, confirming these things to me. Okay? I'm not second guessing. I'm not guessing nothing. What I'm receiving, I'm receiving straight from the Lord Jesus Christ. Hundreds of people have asked the Lord about this. And the Lord has told them that the word I'm giving is from Him. It's not my word. Okay? Destruction is coming to America. Sorry to say this. This is a great country who has helped the Jewish people, who has helped the poor around the, the, the world. But it has been the Lord Jesus Christ who used America to bless other countries and who has blessed America in all these years. Okay? But the Father has said, enough is enough. The sin in this country has gone before the throne of God and God said, enough is enough. He has called America to repentance through His prophets, but they have not listened to His prophets. They have ignored His Son, His Lord Jesus Christ. They have taken the Lord for granted. And to the Father, there's not a greater sin that we, God's people, take His Son for granted. This is a great sin before God. Because God gave His Son to die on the cross for the world. And it's not for us. Who are we to take the Lord Jesus Christ for granted? To ignore His warning. To ignore His, his, his warning for us to, for, to repentance. We're nobody. Alright? Alright? We're not worth it to untie his shoes, his sandals. We're not worth it. But by his mercy, he has mercy on us. And he saved us. So this is why we need to listen to the Lord. We're listening to the Son of God, his only begotten Son, who loves us, who prays for us as a high priest before God every single day who is in constant prayer, prayer for us. You know, when I seen the Lord standing in front of me, all right, and when I still saw His sadness in His face for His people, okay, for His people that He called, that He saved, that He gave His life, that are taking Him for granted, who are going back into the world, to doing the things of the world, this is not something... 
easy to bear, but the Lord mercy, He's so merciful, so merciful. But now it's in the hands of the Father. All this judgment that is coming is in God's hand. And He will bring it very soon, people. We will see this record in California. And we've been told by the Lord that we will see the, the, the first tsunami. Then the Lord, this is the hope that we have. The rapture will happen soon as after the first tsunami goes. Happens. Okay? Just this morning he showed me he showed me weeks ahead. People looking for water after the first tsunami hit. And I couldn't believe it. And I was looking at people here in Boston, Massachusetts, looking for water and going to the rivers with buckets and garlands to try to get water to drink. Just imagine how contaminated the water is. And people are going to have to go with buckets and garlands to get water. It's horrible. What's coming is so horrible. Every single water supply will be contaminated. Okay? The water will be a major thing. Brothers and sisters, if you can put away, put away water, please listen to this advice. Put away water. The Lord, nine such a nine, has been showing me that water will be a great issue for his people, for the people in America. And then food will be another great issue too. It will be a great problem because soon as, soon as after the, the highways and roads are broken by the earthquake in California, many other states will be harmed by it. Many highways will be out of service. The food that comes to the north will not be brought to the north anymore. The people have got to listen. Put away a lot of rice and a lot of other things that you eat with your rice and a lot of water. You are going to need it. Don't wait until it's too late. Okay? Don't wait. Please don't wait. Put it away. Right away. We're going to see something happen very soon, people. Very, very, very soon. There will be great suffering. I saw people crying like i never seen people crying for many years. The Lord showed me after the tsunami came here, and, 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 and all I heard were people saying, my, my parents were killed because where the house of my parents was, it was washed away by the, by the water. The tsunami killed them. Many small cities and towns will be wiped out by the tsunami. And many will die. So many, it will be too late very soon. Okay? When I seen this happening, it was early in the morning when I heard the people crying. And people came to, to, to cry on my shoulder. All right? And I was comforting people. And those, all I was thinking is, how many times did the Lord told me this? How many times did the Lord warn me that this was, will, will come? And when I saw the reality of this tsunami, I, I had tears in my eyes. But all I have was memory of the Lord telling me, my son, this will come. Tell my people to prepare. Tell my people to prepare because this will come soon. It will be too late for many. Many will lose their family. Many will lose their children. 
At one time the Lord showed me, I believe this was the second tsunami, where a whole school, where like two, 400 kids were killed. When I seen this, I cried and cried before the Lord. I, it's hard to see people being killed, okay, especially innocent children. But we must listen to the Lord. We must hear, we must hear His warning. What the Lord is telling us now is that the, the earthquake in California is coming out any day. The word in Israel will start also any day. We're trying to figure out whether this word in Israel is the Psalm 83 or the Ezekiel word, word that is coming. Many have said that this is the, the Psalm 83. The only thing I can tell you about it is that the Lord Jesus Christ himself showed me that he is going to protect the Jewish people. And the Jewish people, he's going to make sure that all these Arab countries, Iran and all these neighbors that are coming against Israel, that the Jewish people will defeat them. The Lord himself, excuse me, will make sure that this happens. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And also the Lord has told us today to pray for the people that are going to die through this first earthquake. And pray for the people that are going to die through the tsunami. It will happen because the Father will make sure that this, tsunami, this earthquake and tsunami happens according to what he has said through us. It's very soon within days. Many will die. Pray for, for them and the family. Please pray for them. Brothers and sisters from other countries, please be in prayer for the people that are going to die in this earthquake in California and many other countries because other countries will be affected and many other people will die. Pray for them that the Lord will have mercy and say, I feel them. Because many of them, are, the majority of them are not prepared to die. They are not ready to die. And the Lord has said today, pray for them. And pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But be in your first prayer. Please, in your first prayer, we pray for the soul of the people that are going to die soon. Please do it. This, this has come from the Lord. This is very important that we pray for these people that are going to die soon because they are not prepared to meet the, their Creator. They are not prepared to meet God. All right? And this is very serious. This will happen very soon. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. As soon as the earth in California happens, I will not join any denomination all right, for the preaching of the, of the thousands of people that are going to come, that the Lord has shown to me. I will not do that. I will not join any church to, give, to, to, to share the word of the Lord with them. I will share with people what the Lord himself tells me. I'm, I'm sorry if you think I'm being prideful about this. I am not being prideful about this. I got order from the Lord himself for me not to do this. He wants me to stay separated to teach His holy people, His people, 
that want to hear a word from him, that want to hear from the Lord, I will share from the Lord what else the Lord has told me to share with them. Okay? It's very important. Okay? Because I will be approached by many pastors and ministers so that so I can join them to minister to these people because there will be thousands of people coming to minister. Please do not ask me to do this because I will not do this. The Lord has told me very clear this week, my son, I don't want you to join with these other people. I want you to tell the people what I tell you. You're going to hear from me, and from me you're going to give them a word. Okay? I know many have find it very hard to believe the, the messages that the, many have find it hard to believe the messages that the Lord has been giving me. Not everybody, please, not, don't, don't misunderstand me, but many have been finding it very hard. Okay? But the Lord told me very clear, as soon as this earthquake in California happens very soon, people will come to you. Okay? I will give them a word from the Lord. Then they will prepare for the tsunami, which is very close right after that. Okay? Then there's other things that I need to tell them from the Lord. Okay? But first is the earthquake in California, people. It will be horrible. Many will lose their lives. Okay? Many will lose their lives in New York and New Jersey. It's like a Sodom and Gomorrah right now before the Lord. The Father has taken over. And He will make it happen. Soon as after this, second, after this first tsunami happens, the Lord will take His people out of here. The Lord showed me the rapture again. And when He showed me the rapture and showed me how soon after the tsunami comes, we're out of here. We're not going to the most suffering after that. We will see these two signs. Three signs, I'm sorry. The earthquake in California, the war in Israel, and the tsunami. Three things is what the Lord has been pointing out to me. My son, wait for these three things. Soon as you see the earthquake in California, okay, in the word in Israel, I'm, I'm trying to see which one is first. Because I believe when the Lord showed me the earthquake in California, then the, the word in Israel happens. Okay? But the word in Israel is about to happen. And the earthquake has not happened yet. But the Lord told me it's very close to the earthquake in California. And it's very close to the word in Israel. The Lord told me, look for this sign, my son. Look for this two signs specific. Or three signs for the tsunami. Three signs, my son. Look for these three signs. This is the thing that I want my people to be waiting for. Because they're going to see it very soon. The Father will make it happen. He will make these things happen. And then He wants His people out of here. Let me tell you something. As soon as the rapture happens for us that are going on with the Lord, our whole life is going to be changed. The Lord show me how my life is going to change. No more suffering for us. Okay? We're going to heaven for seven years. In those seven years, they're going to train us. The, the people that are going down to the millennium, for the millennium kingdom, after the seven years. Why are we, why are we going to be seven years in heaven? Because it will be right after the rapture. They will start a seven-year tribulation. Okay? 
right from the beginning of the first day of the tribulation, okay, people will be able to see the demons for whom they are. They look like human now, but the God will make sure that these, these demons don't look like human anymore. They will look like demons to people. And people will be scared off like they've never been scared before. Because when the Father showed this to me, I saw people running. Multiple of people running. Because they find out that the neighbor next door, who was a friend to them, is a real demon. It's not a human anymore. And it's going to be very scary. Very scary to people. Because the lies of the devil, the Father will reveal it. Satan is not going to lie to people of God anymore. God will reveal the lies of Satan. This time is close now. Very close. The enemy has deceived so many. So many, millions and billions, have been deceived by the enemy. But the God says, has said enough is enough. These demons will be revealed for whom they are. They look like human now. But they will not look like humans very soon. They will, be look, they will look like demons for whom they are. No more lies and deceit. The only sad thing is that the people that are going to stay in the seven-year tribulation will have to deal with the demons. You will, have to, you will see them killing people physically. You will see these demons because the tribulation will be the hardest things that humanity has ever seen. But since, have been, since they have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, now they're going to have to deal with the consequence. Disobedience leads you to suffering. You will suffer for the rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you repent in the seven years tribulation, and do not get the mark of the beast on your hand or on your forehead. And you allow them to, for you to, if you allow for them to cut your head, be headed for the Lord. You will be saved. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you, you could be allowed into the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But ask the people that are going into the, in the thousand year millennium with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be very prepared, people, to face the millennium. Because, yes, it will be great because the Lord will be in Jerusalem. But there will be many temptations, many tests, much suffering we still need to do. Because the whole, the whole plan of God is for us to make it to eternity. The third heaven with the Father is, is eternity. And it's such a great blessing from God to us to make it into eternity that when we go into the millennium, we will start being tested again. I've been taken to the millennium many times from the Lord to show me how the millennium is. And there's a lot of tests and suffering that people have to go still in the millennium. Okay? But if we endure it until the end, and stay with the Lord, we will make it into eternity. So it's very important that we seek the Lord Jesus Christ and that we trust the Lord and that we seek Him without ceasing. 
asking him to help us because we cannot do it by our own strength. We will get tired. We will want to quit. But with the Lord's help, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me, Paul said. We must seek the Lord to give us his strength to go on because it's very hard and very difficult. Many of you will lose your family. Many of you will see your family dead. Okay? Do not focus on the pain that is coming. Do not focus on the pain that is coming by the earthquakes and tsunamis. Do not focus on these things. Focus your eyes on the Lord and understand that God has a great plan for your life. He has an eternal life to give to you. Eternity is endless. It's beautiful. I've seen it. When I was there, I didn't want to return back here. I was so happy, so happy. What God has for his people, for, what, for the one that loves him, is so much, it's so great. There's nothing down here that you can compare it to. But understand one thing. We must suffer. We must go through pain and suffering. We must, must carry a cross, like Jesus says to the people. If you want to follow me, take your cross and follow me. Your burden, your suffering, any, everything that you're going through, you must go on until the end. Don't give up. Don't listen to false prophets or false teachers. If by you going online, it's getting your soul contaminated. There are many false teachings, false teachers and prophets on, on Facebook. YouTube, and many other websites. Be careful. Be very careful. People that are on Facebook, be careful. There are many false teachers, many false prophets. There are many demons from Satan put on Facebook to deceive the Christians. Many of you are listening to principality from the devil on Facebook. For the devil put on Facebook to teach the word of God. Listen to this. Satan himself has put principality on Facebook to teach the word of God. Do you think, people of God, that anything good can come out of Satan? Do you think anything good come out of a principality? There was this lady writing to me. She proclaimed to be a great Christian woman of God. When I asked the Lord, the Lord told me, be careful, my son. And I said, Lord, what is going on? The Lord said to me, she is a principality from Satan. I said, Lord, wait a minute, Lord. She, 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 she's one of your servants. She says she's a great servant of you, Lord. What is going on, Lord? The Lord said to me, my son, she is a principality from Satan. People of God, you need to be very careful, people that are on Facebook, especially people that are new in the Lord, that are studying with the Lord. You are getting so much confusion that you don't know what to believe now. You need to, sh you need to shut off your computer and go on prayer with the Lord. Sh shut off your computer for a week or two. Go on prayer with the Lord and read the Bible. And tell me in two weeks how you feel. Tell me if you don't see a difference in your life. I curse you well. I myself was speaking to demons online. When I started asking the Lord, Lord, why, why did I feel the way I feel? Why did I feel confusion coming into my life a few months ago? The Lord said, my son, because you are speaking to demons. 
And I said, Lord, but many of these people are claiming to be your sons and daughters. The Lord said to me, they are demons put by, by Satan online to confuse my people. You know, and then you have your obvious question, why did God allow this? But we must be tested. Satan, the reason God allows him to do what he does is to test God's people. God uses him to test his people. Eternity is such a great reward for us that we must be tested and Satan is allowed to test us. Him that is of God will defeat the evil one, the evil one, the Bible says. If we are born of God, the book of John, first of John said, we will defeat the evil one. If we are truly of God, nothing that the devil does to us will hold us back or stop us from serving the Lord. Nothing. If we are truly called by God, if we are truly disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, nothing in this world, our faith will defeat the world, the Bible says. We will defeat the enemy through Christ who is in us and we are in Him. We cannot be defeated, the Bible says, if we are God. That is a promise we have from the Lord. Satan cannot defeat the Lord. It is impossible. It was impossible for Satan to hold the devil, the Lord, in the grave. No way. There was no way possible. There's no way possible for us. That's why the Lord said to his disciples, Lazarus is not dead. He's sleeping. It's impossible for the devil to kill any of us if we stay with the Lord. It's very important that you know this, people. Stay with the Lord Jesus Christ. Be careful with the false prophets. Be careful with the demons and principalities that are teaching the word of God, that are deceiving God's people. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Get on your knees in your house or where you live and seek the Lord. Study His word. Study His word. Pray constantly. Pray to the Lord constantly to help you. Ask the Lord to lead you. And every decision, any decision, any major decision that you need to make in your life, ask the Lord. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to, to lead you through His Holy Spirit. The disciple asked the Lord for leading through, his, through the Holy Spirit, and the Lord did let him. We can, we can ask for the same thing. The Holy Spirit is here to lead us to all truth, so we don't be deceived by the enemy. Stay in prayer, fast at least one day a week with the Lord. And you'll see the difference in your life. Read the Bible. Let the Lord lead you. And you'll see the victory that you will have in your life. Doesn't matter who it is. It could be your own pastor. But if the devil is leading him, the devil will lead you through him. Be very careful. Don't receive false words that are not from God. Seek the Lord about the words. If you, if you don't believe of anything I'm saying now, go to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer and ask the Lord if what I'm telling you is not from Him. And He will direct you. He will direct your life. 
Ask the Lord Jesus Christ if what I'm telling you, every single word that I'm telling you, is not of Him. Okay? It's not of Him for Him to tell you. Ask the Holy Spirit that every word that I'm giving you is not of God. And the Holy Spirit will tell you. I had a brother who did not believe I was from God. But, listen to what he did. He did not believe I was a prophet of God. Okay? But he went on, he put, he went on, on, on fasting and praying before the Lord. He waited almost two months, to he, two months in prayer and fasting to hear from the Lord whether I was a full prophet or not. And after almost two months, the Lord came to him and told him that I was his prophet, I was his servant, that he sent me to speak his word. All right. And all, the, all his doubt from that time on went on. When people are like contacting him, because he's a true prophet of God also. I know this because in the moment I spoke with him, I asked the Lord, and the Lord said to me, he is my prophet. He speak my word. And that was the end of that. No more questioning anymore. Okay? He's been a true prophet for many years. His prophecy has been, he's been putting his word online from the Lord. And every word then coming to pass exactly how the Lord has been giving him the word. All right? Praise the Lord Jesus Christ for all glory, all honor, and all praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross. Not to me and anybody else. I do not want no glory from men. I do not want no money from men. I don't want your money. I don't want your recognition. No. I just want you to seek the Lord Jesus Christ and let Him guide you. Let Him direct your step. Let Him direct your life so you can go on and on in victory. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you a hug in heaven when the rapture happens very soon. I want, I want to see you, okay? Many of you, I don't know you personally. Many of you are right to me. But I want to see you in heaven very soon. I want to go give you a hug in heaven for listening to the Lord. I want to rejoice with my brothers and sisters in heaven. You don't know how great heaven is. Heaven is a place of joy, of peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace in heaven is incredible, people. I, I can talk to you about the peace of heaven for hours. People walk in heaven with such a peace from God. No worry, no concern. You know that people in heaven don't know the time. You can ask them what time it is. They say, what are you talking about? They're not concerned by, by time. They're not concerned by the thing we're concerned here. They're just concerned. They are concerned for the moment. Whatever they're doing for God in that moment, that, that's you. And they're not, they're not even concerned because a concern is a bad word. They just do things with love and peace for God. It is incredible to serve the Lord. And the Lord showed to me when he was talking to me about the rapture, the great life that God has for his people after the rapture, the joy that you will have, the peace and the new life that God has granted to you, brothers and sisters, it's going to be endless. You're going to worship God from when, you, when, when God shows you what he has for your life. He showed me what he has for me when he showed me all these things. 
And I have such a peace and joy for God. It was incredible. Incredible the peace and joy that I have from God. My goodness. God says, my son, I have a new life for you. And it's going to start soon as after the rapture happens. You're going into your new life. Forget about what you know now. Because everything that you know now will change very soon. Because I have a new life for you, my son. And it's very close. Very close, my son. And I, the joy and peace that I receive in this new life was incredible. And he has it for each one of you that are listening. Lord has a great new life for you. Great new thing for you. But the devil, who's bad and evil, wants to steal that, steal that away from you. Wants to stop you from reaching your goal. Your blessing from God. This new life with God. A joy and peace for all forever. Don't let the devil steal it from you, brothers and sisters. Stay in prayer. Stay reading the word. Stay in constant seeking the Lord. Do not stop seeking the Lord. Do not let the devil tell you you're tired of praying. No, pray. Pray without teaching. Pray for your family, for your immediate family. Pray for them. Even if they're not saved now, don't worry about it. Ask the Lord to save them no matter what. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ in your prayer to save your family no matter what. And let the Lord deal with them. He will save them no matter what. He will answer your prayer. But remember the Bible says, ask and thou shalt receive. You will receive from the Lord the answer of your prayer. You will see your family safe from the Lord. Because you know what? He is faithful. Faithful is the one, the Bible says, that sits on the throne. He is faithful. And when you ask, this is a heaven law, you will receive. This is promise from the Lord, the Father. Ask, and thou shalt receive. When you ask for your family to be saved, they will be saved. Because the Lord is giving you a promise. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and all your hearts will be saved. Praise the Lord for His mercy. Praise the Lord, because He is merciful. He is good. God bless you, brothers and sisters. If you have any questions, you can write to me. God bless you. Jesus, we desperately need your power and strength to do what you've asked me to do tonight. I ask humbly now to give me the courage and help me to say it from my heart without fear and trembling. In Christ's name, amen. God's placed me here tonight to warn of the coming hour of persecution. The Holy Spirit is my witness. This convention tonight is being warned here and now of an intense hour of persecution for all spirit-filled believers. You're to prepare to be hated, rejected, maligned, and ridiculed. Now, if you believe Acts 2-4 about a special endowment of power from on high, then you've got to also believe Acts 2-17. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. I saw a vision this past April. So frightening, it staggered my mind. And for the past three months, I've tried to shake it off, but I can't do it. 
I've only had two in my life. The first, 15 years ago, took me to the streets of New York, and every fact of that vision has been fulfilled. I've been terribly afraid to share this vision up till tonight for fear I'd be called a fanatic. But the same Holy Ghost that prompted me 12 years ago to share the story of the cross and switchblade has prompted me tonight to share this vision with you. In this vision, I saw five terrible calamities coming to America and the world. First of all, a worldwide recession caused by economic confusion. I saw in my vision at most a few more fat, flourishing years and then an economic recession that's going to affect the lifestyle of every wage earner in the world. The world economists are going to be at loss to explain what's happening. It's going to start in Germany, spread to Japan, and finally to the United States. Large and trusted corporations are going to go bankrupt. Many churches are going to go into bankruptcy. And some missionary projects are going to flounder. And one of the clearest messages I've ever received from God in my life is this. Use the next few good years left to prepare for financial crises. Get your house in order because hard times are coming. Number two, I saw nature having labor pains. Supernatural signs and changes that can't be explained by men. Worldwide disasters that we're witnessing right now, I see as labor pains in nature, which are going to become more and more frequent and more intense the closer we get to the birth of the kingdom of God. I saw major earthquakes coming to the United States. I saw worldwide famine, especially in China, India, and Russia. I saw the world's food supplies completely dwindled and millions starving. I saw coming a new kind of cosmic storm appearing as a raging fire in the sky, leaving a kind of vapor trail. Tornadoes, hailstorms, floods, and hurricanes are going to pound the earth with such intensity and violence that all of mankind is going to have to admit the world is under supernatural siege. Number three, a flood of filth and a baptism of dirt in America. I see the prophecy of Nahum coming to pass in the very near future. God said, I'll pour abominable filth upon you. This means triple X-rated movies on cable television after midnight. This means R-rated movies within the next few years on network television. This means our newsstands are going to be flooded with such filth that Playboy magazine will look like a puritanical piece of trash. It means sex education classes in school will be using animated cartoons and filmed dramatized sexual intercourse. And just when it appears there's going to be a successful campaign against smut, just when the Supreme Court seems to be ro ruling against pornographers, when it appears the nation's returning to old-fashioned moral standards, suddenly the floodgates are going to swing open and Satan is going to vomit filth out of hell and it'll be just as it was in the days of Lot and will vex the souls of God's most devout, devout saints. Number four, rebellion in the home. I see the new number one youth problem in America and the world as hatred toward parents. Now, I'm reading this tonight for fear I've changed a single word of what I've seen and had to write down as the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. A man's worst enemies will be they of his own household, the Bible says. Children are going to turn against their parents with a passion. Parents are going to be betrayed and will die a thousand deaths at the hands of children who have learned to despise their hypocrisy. There are going to be millions of stay-at-home runaways 
who need not go away anymore and run away from home because their parents are going to give them what they choose and what they want as long as they stay home. Kids will not even be expected to communicate with their parents. They're going to live under the same roof but will be like enemies at war living under a truce. This is the clearest vision I've ever seen in my life. It's going to be bigger than drug addiction, bigger than sex abuse or alcohol or any other youth problem. And in a recent survey we did, the 5,000 kids in 12 major cities, over 45% said, I hate my parents already. Number five, a persecution madness against truly spirit-filled Christians who love Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have time tonight to go into all the details of these four calamities I've just mentioned. However, the Holy Spirit has prompted me tonight to go into detail and share with you what I see coming in the way of persecution. Now, it was Jesus himself who told us to tarry for a Pentecost. Jesus himself told us the Holy Ghost would fall upon us. Jesus himself promised us power from on high. But it was also Jesus Christ himself who predicted persecution was coming for all true spirit baptized believers. Jesus predicted it. John 15, 19. Jesus said, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of this world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world will hate you. Remember the word that I said to you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. And here is another one. The brother shall deliver up the brother to death, the father the child. Children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endure to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, one to another, because I tell you, you will not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. Now the purpose of this coming persecution that I see in the Spirit will be to separate and scatter the true believers from the false. Time is running out, and the gospel still has to be preached to all nations before Jesus comes. Now the Holy Ghost has been poured out upon thousands, but just as in the early Pentecostal outpouring, disciples still sit around singing and rejoicing and sharing only with each other. Among us are still those who talk in tongues and still live like the devil. But he's going to lay the axe to the root. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's going to scatter his seed to the far corners of the earth. And God's word will be fulfilled. Second Timothy 3.12 all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You quote the scripture, they shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. They shall speak with tongues. Go all the way if you're going to be the charismatic Christians. Read it all, accept it. All, 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 A-double-L-L. -L. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now let me share with you what the Holy Spirit's revealed to me in vision concerning this persecution. Number one, it's going to come as a persecution madness on the earth. I see now persecution coming such as mankind has never before witnessed. This will be a persecution of true Jesus believers, and it's going to rise like a many-headed monster out of the sea. It'll start slowly, subtly, 
coming at a time when religious freedom appears to be at a peak. But it's going to spread the United States, Canada, the entire world, and finally become a kind of madness. That madness is already upon us. The Antichrist spirit is entering the hearts of certain men in high places already. Government in the judicial system, and it's led to a spiritual wickedness in high places. And this spiritual wickedness in high places will eventually and soon lead to an harassment not only of officials, but those in churches, missionaries, and ministers. There's already evidence of this harassment. I see a time coming when nearly all evangelical missionary projects, all religious radio and television programming, all incorporated missionary societies are going to be so closely monitored, questioned and badgered by government agencies, they'll be cautious and worried about moving or expanding in any direction. Number two, I see rising a super world church. I see the formation of a super world church council consisting of a union between liberal ecumenical Protestants and the Roman Catholic Church, joining politically hand in hand to create one of the most powerful religious forces on earth. And this union is going to start as a cooperative charities program and it will end in a political union. This visible super world church is going to be spiritual in name only, freely using the name of Jesus Christ, but will in fact be anti-Christ and political in many of its activities. This powerful church union will be deeply involved in social action, tremendous charity programs and ministries of compassion. Its leaders will make statements about meeting human need. They'll send out a call for social action, political intervention, and a greater voice in world affairs. There's going to be, fourthly, a sudden mysterious chain of events. Just when it appears the ecumenical movement is nearly dead, a rather mysterious chain of events will bring about the framework for this union. Rome is going to insist upon and receive concessions from the Protestant ecumenical leaders. The Pope will be considered more of a political rather than a spiritual leader of this church union. Protestant leaders of the ecumenical movement are going to insist upon and receive concessions from Rome. Protestants will not be asked to consider the Holy Father as the infallible head of the church. They accept his political leadership without accepting his role as Peter's successor. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Pope or any of these church leaders involved in the super church will be engaging in antichrist activity. The Bible talks about something about that line, but I can't get into it now. The Bible, as far as I'm concerned, though, I see something that frightens me to the very core of my soul. I see an army of career people invading the most influential post in the super church. They're going to be ungodly, anti-Christ people, obsessed with the idea that this super church must become a big political power, strong enough to defeat anybody who opposes its actions. And while those that are in leadership are speaking about miracles and love and reconciliation, these hirelings who work under them are going to be harassing and persecuting every religious organization that does not come under their leadership. Most of the domestic groups that we have to pay attention to here are white supremacist groups. They're anti-government, uh, in most cases uh, anti-abortion. They are usually survivalist type in nature identity-oriented. If you recall, uh, Buford Furrow came to Los Angeles in, um, I believe it was 1999, when he was went to three different 
Jewish institutions, museums, and they wound up shooting people at a um, children's uh, community center, and then shooting a Filipino postal worker later on. Uh, Matthew Hale, who's the Pontifus Maximus of the World Church of the Creator out of Illinois, and Ben Smith, who went on a shooting spree in three different cities where he killed a number of African Americans and Jews uh, and, and um, Asians that day. Those groups are um, groups that claim to be extremely anti-government and um, Christian identity-oriented. Fourthly, I see homosexuals and lesbians. Welcome to the Super Church Union. I see this Super World Church in the guise of, mis of understanding, accepting homosexuals and lesbians into its fellowship. Homosexuals, and homosexual and lesbian love will be vindicated by the leadership of this church union. Homosexuals will not only be welcomed, but they'll be encouraged to continue in their practices. Homosexual and le lesbian ministers will not only be ordained and given places of authority, They'll be heralded as a new breed of pioneer evangelists introducing new concepts of love and evangelism. I see in nearly every major city in the United States and around the world, homosexual churches catering exclusively to the spiritual needs of their own kind with full recognition from organized religion. Their Sunday school and church literature distributed to their children will suggest to teenagers that homosexuality is a normal and acceptable form of Christian practice. New dancing in the church. New dancing in some of these member churches will be excused as an artistic form of worship. Men are going to become worshipers of the creature more than the Creator. And God will be forced to give these kind of worshipers over to their sins. And as a result, many will be given over to reprobate minds, creating a new form of mental illness that will not respond to any kind of treatment. Now, God will not let that go unanswered. And although new dancing will not become widespread, it's going to be accepted by many church leaders in the future as a legitimate expression of worship. Next, occult practices within this church. I believe this super world church will condone certain occult practices. They'll set up study committees to defang the devil, remake his image into one of a non-entity, bland, someone not to be feared. Now, in some of the most respected, wealthy churches in America, seances will replace prayer meetings, and that's already happening. More and more ministers are going to be intrigued by the supernatural claims of the spiritualist and Satanist groups. And I see the day coming when certain ministers who've never been too close to Jesus will get very close to the devil. Satan is going to appear as an angel of light to deceive if it were possibly the elect, the chosen of God. Satan's own ministers will appear as these angels and they'll try to spread the message within the church that the enemy, Satan, is not to be feared. The super church will never officially accept the occult practices outright, but phonology, palmistry, fortune telling, and horoscopes will be widely respected and accepted. Now, Listen closely. Next, I see the rise of another super church, a supernatural, invisible church, a union of deeply spiritual followers of Jesus Christ, bound together through the Holy Spirit, mutual confidence in Christ and His Word. 
the supernatural church of true believers will become a kind of underground church and will include Catholics and Protestants of all denominations, young and old, black and white, and people of all nations. And while this visible super world church gains political power, this invisible body of believers will grow tremendously in spiritual power. This power will come from persecution. The persecution madness that's coming upon this earth will drive these Christians closer together and closer to Jesus Christ. There will be less concern about denominational ties and more concern and emphasis on the coming of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will bring together in one all people of all faiths and walks of life. And although this supernatural church already exists around the world, in the days coming soon, it will become politically almost invisible. It will not speak out much on social issues, but as persecution becomes more intense, this body of true believers will become almost radical in its evangelistic efforts, and in this invisible church will receive supernatural unction and Holy Ghost power to preach the gospel to the four corners of the earth. Next, persecution for charismatic Catholics. This makes me tremble. And I fought with the Lord for three weeks now, saying, I can't say it. The Lord said, you say it. Charismatic Catholics who consider themselves members of the invisible supernatural church of Jesus Christ face the most grievous hour of persecution of all. The Roman Catholic Church, I predict in the spirit, is about to pull in the welcome mat to all Catholics who speak with tongues and who lean toward the Pentecostal teachings concerning the Holy Spirit. High-level political pressure will be placed on priests and local level to put the fire out. Watch for the Pope to take a negative stand against the charismatic movement within the Catholic Church. The honeymoon is about over. Catholic magazines will soon begin to speak out against the movement within its ranks and call for a purging. It will begin as a very slow trend, but will gather quick momentum until all Catholics in this movement will eventually face real persecution from within their own church. The charismatic movement within the Catholic Church will become so powerful and widespread it will appear to some leaders as a threat to those who don't understand what it means. I see more than 500,000 involved in the Catholic charismatic movement within a short time. And those not in the movement will accuse it of lacking social concern and being too oblivious to the traditions of the church. They'll be accused of turning away from the Virgin Mary and negating the authority of the Pope and that every charismatic Catholic who boasts about a baptism of the Holy Ghost prepare for persecution. It's not going to happen overnight, but most assuredly the day is coming when every single Catholic who's experienced a spiritual awakening will have to understand where his loyalties are. Some will be forced to return to tradition and allow the experience to be frozen. Many others, however, will soon discover that they have more Christian love, fellowship, and spiritual rapport with other spirit-filled Protestants and Catholics who have now centered their lives around the person of Jesus Christ, the fullness of the Holy Ghost, and his soon return. Many will not believe me, but I see the day when Catholics, Lutherans, and many others of all denominations are going to have to come out from among them these new Christians will not call themselves Protestant or Catholic, but simply renewed Christians. Their fellowship will not be based... 
Their fellowship will not be based on the experience of speaking with tongues, but will be centered on the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That is our fellowship. Number nine, I see a persecution through a media struggle. There is at present tremendous freedom for preaching the gospel on radio and television. Never have the doors been more open to minister Christ in the media. Christians even own and operate their own radio and TV stations. They're at liberty to pray for the sick, raise money, and promote the gospel in any way they see fit. But watch out. Persecution and harassment is already beginning. There's a sound of change in the air. Christ-centered radio and TV programming will become the target of satanic forces determined to force every one of them off the airwaves. Already, there's a behind-the-scenes movement to establish a kind of rating system for all religious radio and TV programming. And the liberal leaders of this super church council will soon attempt to establish a kind of screening board and force themselves on the FCC as the final authority on all paid and sustaining religion on the media. They want no program to be aired without their approval. The doors that are now wide open are slowly but surely going to close. Christian radio and TV stations should begin to expect persecution and harassment. Atheistic and antichrist forces are even now preparing litigation against certain religious stations. And I see Satan trying to bog down these programs and stations in red tape, legal proceedings, and tax problems. And Satan will use every tactic at his disposal to remove all Christ-centered programs from the media. And the message I have for all of you who minister in the media is this, from the Holy Spirit. Work while it is yet day, for the night cometh when no man can work. And that's a message for the media. Persecution from Hollywood. Watch for Hollywood to step up its attack against true religion with more expose-type films. The film Marjo was the most brazen attempt by the devil to put down and ridicule all religion having to do with the blood of Jesus Christ. Never in American history was it done before. Revivalists and evangelical ministers are going to be stereotyped as Elmer Gantries, charlatans, cheats, money-mad comedians. More and more movie makers are going to attempt to debunk our morals. Gospel preaching churches and ministers are going to come under special attack while at the same time, the occult and witchcraft will be glorified and sensationalized. Next, persecution from television comedies. TV comedy shows, the Holy Spirit has shown me, will become bolder and bolder and will poke fun at Christ and all true Christians. Comedy writers are going to strike out blow after blow designed to put down sacred traditions. And eventually these shows will be punctuated with four-letter words and anything will go on television. Television programmers will become absolutely blasphemous and millions and millions of unbelievers will sit in front of their TV sets laughing and mocking as subjects once considered sacred are undermined and mocked and ridiculed. And last night on the Today Show it was brought home so vividly as... Impressionist David Fry maliciously mocked Billy Graham as a money raiser and a money grabber. Made my blood boil. Marjo sat there knocking all Roberts and Billy Graham and it came home to me so hard. David, this is just the beginning. Talk shows everywhere. Movies, theaters, debunking 
placed in his blood and glorifying the devil. Next, persecution through taxation of churches. Can you listen to me? There's coming attempt to tax churches and church-related organizations. These atheistic forces, with the help of the Civil Liberties Union, are going to push this matter to the Supreme Court. They're going to have a temporary setback, but it's not going to stop them from pressing for congressional action. And a legal setback in the courts will not stop it. In spite of court decisions, we are eventually going to have taxation of our churches. I see it coming as an insignificant, very small kind of property tax, but it's soon going to burgeon into a monster-sized tax that will push some independent churches and missionary societies to the brink of bankruptcy. The IRS, Internal Revenue Service, one day I see becoming one of the most powerful weapons against the Church of Jesus Christ. It would then be possible for government agencies to maintain a stranglehold on churches. And government agencies, even now, are delving into the private books of almost every non-profit religious organization in America, including ours right now. Every problem is going to be political harassment, red tape, acute financial problems. Federal and state aid is going to come with more and more strings attached to it. Secondly, an almost unexplainable student mood, apathy, unrest, and disrespect for leadership. Thirdly, you can expect the faculty to be infiltrated by teachers and professors who have become the unwitting tools in the hands of Satan to undermine the foundations of faith and leadership. Satan is going to attempt to wrest the leadership of these schools and institutions out of the hands of true men of God and place them in the hand of compromising liberals who will not attempt to check the movement toward agnosticism. The leadership of Christian educational institutions had better prepare themselves for difficult times financially and spiritually. Next, the Jesus revolution is going to go sour. The Jesus revolution will become a Jesus revulsion movement. Oh, hear me. My friends, I have never in my life ministered with more of the unction of the Holy Spirit, have never felt more divinely called to speak His Word than I do here and now. And the Spirit of God upon me, and I prophesy now and hear it. The Jesus revolution among young people will stagnate, and undisciplined followers are going to return to their drugs, their free sex, and their old ways of life. Persecution is coming to separate the sheep from the goats, and only totally surrendered disciples will be left standing when the fog clears. The time is soon coming when it will no longer be popular to be a Jesus person. The Jesus songs will not be on the hit parade. His name will no longer be a commercial asset to Broadway or Hollywood. The world that once used the name of Jesus so promiscuously is going to turn on him and put him down. I see a replay of the first recorded Jesus movement in history. Remember when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to the hurrahs and the hosannas and the praises of thousands that were caught up in this Jesus movement? 
Young people ripped branches from palm trees and spread their jackets on the ground so a little donkey could walk over. They cried, Jesus, Jesus, Hosanna, our King is coming. But that first Jesus movement soon went sour. A very short time later, that same Jesus stood before that same angry crowd, and now they were screaming, Crucify Him, away with Him. The same crowd turned against Him. And the modern Jesus movement has had its crowds and its excitement. They sang the praises of Jesus, and Jesus was really in. But look what's happening now. The joy poppers are going back to drugs, and a Jesus revulsion movement is now springing up as a result of the occult practices of young people in our schools. Young devil worshippers have started nucleus of hate Christ clubs in our schools already. Hate Christ clubs, whose chief aim is to harass Jesus people and refute the claims of Jesus Christ. All but friends out of this Jesus movement is coming a hardcore of Jesus people who have completely given over their old ways of life. They've forsaken their old habits, and they've committed their lives to service to Jesus Christ. And my message to you, Jesus people, today is loud and clear. Get ready to be persecuted. Prepare to face these hate Christ clubs in your schools. In many places, Christian young people who take an open stand for Christ will be verbally stoned by those their own age. This revulsion movement against Christ it's going to be personally directed by the devil himself and carried out by those who are committed to his worship. Jesus' people are going to be not only considered freaks, they're going to be called all manner of names, they're going to be spat upon in the corridors of high schools and college campuses, and the day will come when Bibles will be plucked from their arms and ripped apart by a laughing crowd of mockers. The harassment's going to eventually become so violent and widespread that Christian young people will either harden themselves like steel and stand up and witness against it or crumble before it and deny their faith. And this is what persecution is all about. I see coming also a spiritual awakening behind the iron and bamboo curtains. While the free nations are experiencing this wave of persecution, the iron and bamboo curtain countries will experience a short period of spiritual awakening. Those who have lived under religious, terrible religious persecution are going to enjoy a limited time of freedom. God's Holy Spirit's going to split the iron and bamboo curtains, and He's going to seek out and find hungry hearts in Russian, China, and Eastern Europe. No doubt about it. God's promised to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. He did not exclude these nations. God is bringing to pass a temporary truce between the East and the West for the express purpose of getting the gospel into these communist countries. Japanese and Korean Christians will be used of God to reach thousands in China. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in West Germany is to reach through to East Germany. The outpouring that's taken place in Finland now is destined to spread through northern Russia. A tremendous move of the Holy Spirit. Ironically, while the doors are beginning to close on this side of the curtain, the doors will open on the other, and after a short period of freedom and spiritual awakening, the doors will suddenly close and those nations cast into horrible persecution. Finally, one of the most important of all, and this comes down close to every pastor, 
and every Christian in this building, I see already started. Now, many of these things I've talked about tonight are mountain peaks that I've seen. I do believe that they will all be fulfilled in this generation. Not all at the same time. Some of these things beginning to happen even now. But one thing that is already upon us, and I see it clearly, I see a gossip war. I know now that Satan has declared war on every true minister of Jesus Christ. He's going to leave no stone unturned in his attempt to discredit and shipwreck every man of God who's determined to stay true. Those ministers and priests who refuse to cheat on their wives, they refuse to indulge in the freedom of the new morality, they're going to be the target of the most vicious, vicious malicious gossip of all times. The devil is going to raise up gossip mongers to harass and malign and lie against you. I believe that Billy Graham and other great gospel ministers throughout the world are going to face more and more ridicule, gossip, and misunderstanding by the press and by liberal people in the media. Every motive is going to be questioned. Every statement is going to be examined and cross-examined. They're going to be mocked and maligned by comedians on television. And ministers who once thought they had no enemies in the world will one day wake up to find out that someone's talking about them. They won't understand where it comes from. Pastors of churches especially are going to face the most malicious gossip of all. There will be innuendos, lies, false statements that will float around that come from the very pits of hell. It will be a supernatural demonstration of demonic power. There will not be a single true minister of the gospel immune. And the wives, hear me now, the wives of those ministers who are married are also going to come under the attack of malicious gossip. Legions of lying spirits have been turned loose upon the world with the single purpose of accusing Christians through gossip and slander to rob them of their victory and faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This gossip war will not only be aimed against ministers, but against every true spirit-filled believer of Jesus Christ. Even the teenagers are going to see what it's like to face malicious gossip. And now, I come to my final word from the Lord. You have no idea. You could not begin to know the battle I've had to stand here and say what I've said tonight. I've had the enemy tell me, everybody will call you a fanatic. Why risk 15 years of a certified ministry where people respect you and stand out like a fool? But friends, I can't stand here tonight honestly and just tickle your ears. The ends of the world have come upon us. And I've always been a positive preacher. I've never preached much about judgment. But my friends, you can't talk about the coming of Jesus Christ until you open your eyes and see that all that's happening around us now, the Lord is saying, look up when you see these things begin to happen and rejoice because your redemption draws nigh. And I bring you to my final word. 
when I received this vision of calamities, it so frightened me. It so, I was just so transfixed before God that He's kept me up night after night, again last night in the middle of the night. And I asked the Lord about all these things. How are we going to do all that we're supposed to do when so many are forsaking you and people are going into hiding and they're afraid the ship is sinking? What do we do, Lord? Do we abdicate? Do we turn this whole world over to the devil and just let him have his way? Do we pay off all our bills and sold away a couple reserves in the bank, buy a little farm and escape and try to ride out the storm hoping a better day will come? You just give up? How can you look at all the tornadoes and the weather forecast and how can you see all the calamities that every prophet of God has predicted? How can the Christian remain sane? How can he keep his fortitude? How can he be objective? How can he be rational in an age that's falling apart? Lord, where do we stand now? And dear friend, you've got to hear what the Holy Spirit said to me. Just five little words. But so powerful, they awakened in me a glorious new hope and faith, and I woke up shouting. And those five little words that blazed in my heart were these. God has everything under control. Hallelujah. This is what I got. All of nature is under control. We hear earthquakes, famines, pestilence, hailstorms, killer heat waves, floods, drastic weather changes are breaking all past records. It looks like nature's out of control. But God's word is clearly predicted it would happen. The wrath of God is to be outpoured on this earth through an unleashed fury of nature because God is warning mankind that judgment is coming and these are labor pains and the closer we get to the birth of His kingdom, more frequent and intensive we'll get until the birth of the kingdom of God. And it was God who told Job that He shut up the sea with doors. The sea can't cross the door. He set bars and doors to stay the proud waves. God said He took hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it, reserved the treasures of hail and snow against the day of battle. He's divided the water courses for the overflow of the waters. That's the flood. He set the domain of the earth and the ordinances of heaven. He sends forth lightnings and He scatters the wind upon the earth. Who does it? God! does it, child of God, in these days to come, the Holy Spirit would say to you, don't fear the fury of nature. God is still king of the flood. And you look upon those floods, earthquakes, and hurricanes, and you say to yourself, that's my God talking. He's calling, he's chastising, and he's saying, get ready.
even the devil is under his control. As with Job, God may permit him to touch every material, physical thing around you, but you hear it? Satan cannot possess you or rob you of your faith in God. The devil's power is limited, and the Bible said even a baby Christian can put him to flight simply by resisting him to the Word and the blood. The Bible said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Does that sound like defeat? Does that suggest a victorious devil? Never. God has everything under control, and we are under his control, so we are not afraid of the devil. It is the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom, and God's message is this. I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. You and I and everything that touches us is now under his control. No matter how things look in this drunken world, all things are still working together to everyone who loves God. He called according to his purpose. All right, let the dollar fail. Let the depression and recession come. Let there be unemployment and pollution and inflation and wars and rumors of war. Let the fabric of society disintegrate. For the true child of God, everything is under control. It doesn't matter. Nothing can harm you. He said, look up and rejoice and be happy. And in closing, the future is under his control. God has everything pre-programmed. He knows the exact moment that Christ will return. The final tribulation, the judgments, the battle of Armageddon are all on his calendar, and he's blocking them off one at a time. And the God who controls all of heaven and earth says to us, Christian, spirit-filled, the nations or as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as small dust in my balance. <laughs> the nations of the world are just a drop in the bucket. All nations are as nothing before me. They are less than nothing. Don't worry about worldly powers. I've got it all programmed. God is still counting the hairs on our head. He's still counting the sparrows that fall. He's still hearing petitions before they're asked. He's still answering before being called. He's given abundantly more now than we could ever ask or think. So saints of God, wake up. He's still saving and healing and baptizing and is getting his house in order. And to fear is to blaspheme. And now you can go over tonight and go to sleep and say to your heart, God has everything under control. Hallelujah. No clapping, please. I've finished my vision. 
The Bible said the last days your young men shall see visions. They'll prophesy. And you've heard a vision. Some of you read the first one in my book. And I really don't care what anybody thinks of me tonight. I'm fully convinced that what I've seen is true. But if even just a part of it is true, then we're right there at that last moment of time. And some of you aren't ready for persecution. You can't even run with a horse, and what are you going to do when the flood comes? You know what? It's going to be when we stand before God, not so much that there are so many sinners, just so many strangers. Bogged down by a love of pleasure. All, God's not against your campers, your surfboard, and your nice clothes. But he is against you having all these things and not enough time for him. You can sit and watch television. You come here and clap your hands and sing about the good things of God. You can sit here and share a wonderful time together. The friends, it had better dawn on you soon. The ends of the world are upon us. This is the hour we've all preached about. And if you're truly spirit-filled, if you're the Spirit of Christ, that bears witness with you right now. What I'm saying strikes a chord in your heart. I look at some of you dear gray-haired folks and some of you preachers here. White hair. You've been preaching this for years. And I think this is the most exciting time in the world to watch the last generation unfold. We are the last Christians. And it's the most exciting thing to see all that we've heard and read over the centuries coming to pass right before our eyes. And some of you still sitting there not knowing what's happening. Friend, Jesus is coming. <laughs> Jesus is coming and he's getting his house in order. Hallelujah. Now, no begging, no pleading. I really don't know what the Lord has prepared for us at this moment, but I do know I have felt led of the Holy Spirit to have every young person, 21 and under, stand right now quietly. Please stand to your feet. Please open these drapes. Come on, young people, look me right in the eye. I've got only one ministry and one gift, and that's to young people. The gift of faith to believe God to touch your heart. I told you that the number one youth problem coming to America is hatred and bitterness toward parents. A man's enemies will be there of his own house. The children will betray their parents. And some of you are able to sing and shout and even talk in tongues. But you don't clean your room, you hassle your parents, and you have hatred and bitterness right now. That makes you a phony. You're one of those 95% Christians. You've given 95% for Jesus, but you've helped back this 5%, and you can't even handle that. And I don't believe you should get just an emotional joy pop. There comes a time when you can sing and shout and praise the Lord. But there comes a time when you've got to see how apocalyptic this age is, and you say, I want to be ready for persecution. I want to be so in love with Jesus that this persecution that's coming will only drive me closer and closer to Him. It'll rob you or it'll touch you. Drive you closer to Him or further from Him. And I tell you, things had better be right in your home. Things had better be right between you and your dad and mom. If you stand here right now, having a root of bitterness towards your dad and mom, my Bible said that'll spring up and choke you. And it is 
ashamed that you would be persecuting your parents. And now we're talking of persecution. You be guilty of persecuting your parents because you say they don't understand you. And this is the ministry the Lord's laid on my heart lately. Because with all of that talk about persecution coming in our homes, the Lord has also said He would send forth the Spirit of Elijah. He would also restore the hearts of the children to their parents. The parents of the children, there'll be a coming together of those who are sincerely asking and seeking. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to just acapella with no music. We're going to sing that beautiful chorus, Oh, How I Love Jesus. And as we love Him, I want to give you an invitation to step out of this crowd, come right up on stage. You say, David, this message touched me. And I've been a phony. I've been a 95 percenter. There's been a root of bitterness in my heart toward my dad and mom, and I want it out tonight. I want to be a 100 percent Christian, and I want to be ready no matter what the hour is like. I want to face the coming of Jesus with godly assurance in my heart. I want you, while we're singing this, after I pray, to just step out of the crowd and come right up these steps and stand behind me, facing me. And I'm going to ask God for a miracle tonight in this place. I'm going to ask God to raise up firebrands and put something in your heart so aflame and so bright, no demon or devil in hell can touch it. Heavenly Father, you're set under your voice and your word tonight. Your Holy Spirit is calling and working and moving. Lord, there are dozens and dozens of young people standing here right now. They're not ready for that hour of persecution. They'd crumble under it, Lord, because they've been falling you far off. They've been phonies, just 95 percenters, maybe 70 percent. But there's been a percentage that's not been yielded. And Lord, you said you want it all or nothing. No more games. No more phoniness. Oh, God, an hour of decision of... Not decisions, but disciples tonight. Holy Spirit called dozens of young people to take this walk tonight. And so I step out of this crowd to say, Jesus, here I am, consume me. Take out the roots of bitterness and anger and rebellion. And set me on fire. Lord, give us your word now. And speak clearly to our hearts. Lord, we need you. You need to hear from heaven, and we're trusting you now in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter, fourth chapter. First Peter, the fourth chapter. Getting ready for the end of all things. First Peter, the fourth chapter. I want to read just a few verses. Uh, start in verse seven, please. First Peter four, beginning of verse seven. But the end of all things is at hand. Now, that's pretty blunt. He gets up before his people, and in his letter he writes, the end has come. He said, and be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Thank you, Jesus. Now, uh, in Second Peter 1.14, he has just announced, the Lord has shown me that I'm going to die. The Lord has shown me that my time has come. 
And so he comes to the people now as a dying man. He comes as if to say, I'm soon going to be with my heavenly father. I'm soon going to be with Christ. So I'm going to give you my final word. He said, I want you to know the end of all things is at hand. It's right at hand. You say, well, that was written 2,000 years or so ago. But folks, if, if it were true then, it's all the more true now. It's the end of the very last of the last days. And he said, I'm going to tell you what God expects and what he wants of you. I'm going to tell you how to become secure. I'm going to tell you how to prepare for the end times. And you see, he says nothing about the economy. He says nothing about the loss of houses and lands. He says nothing about uh, where to put your money, nothing about safe havens. And he comes with this. And and, uh, I I got a letter from somebody, uh, read one of my prophetic books about how God's going to keep his people in the coming depression. And he said, I wrote to you, Pastor Dave, in good faith, and I believe that you're an honest, righteous man, and I ask you where I should put my money, uh, some safe place to put my money, because he said, really, if God's warning us, he wouldn't be a very good God if he didn't tell us how to survive. And he was trying to put me on the spot, and he said, "I, I want to know. I don't want any theological uh, cop out. He said, that's what you preachers do. You cop out and just say, go pray. Because if I told him, pray and get the mind of the Holy Ghost for yourself. And he, he said, I feel cheated. He, he said, I, I wanted to hear, certainly God would have a word. He would not warn us unless he gave us a way to survive. And I get letters like that. And already since I mentioned my topic, how to prepare for the end of all things, uh, some of you feel like, well, uh, Brother Dave, this, as soon as I announce this subject, well, Pastor Dave is going to give us some good advice on uh, where to put our money and help us get fixed for the hard times that have already started. And that, that's a good, honest question. We all ask those questions, but folks, uh, this is not going to make sense to you until we get to the last half of the message. And you'll see why Peter goes with this message. As he, he says, first of all, be sober. In other words, don't panic. That's his first advice. No matter what happens. And there's many Christians right now who are in panic who have, who have believed and testified all their lifetime that the Lord was their keeper. We sing Jehovah Jireh. We sing all these wonderful songs about how good God is and how he's going to keep us in the hard times. And it, it, there is a human nature in us that responds and we, we have to bring it under the word. We have to bring it under the control of faith. But he's saying, be sober first of all. Be sober. And then secondly, he says, go to prayer. He said, you, you wonder why you're confused. You wonder why you're in turmoil. You wonder why you're in panic and you're not sober in these times. And he's saying the worse it gets, the blacker the night, the more you're, you should be walking in soberness and the peace and the rest of the Holy Ghost. That's what he says, as hard as that sounds. That is, that's what I'm telling you God told me before he takes me home. I'm telling the church of Jesus Christ in my day and in the days to come, 
There are going to be hard and difficult times. And Peter describes those times. Mockers and scoffers are going to come. There are going to be those preaching deception in our churches. There are going to be preachers of covetousness and materialism. He goes on to describe all of those things that are coming. And he says, don't panic. Be at peace about it. And then he says, go to prayer. And folks, that, there that's where I go. Every time fear tries to rise in my spirit. Every time there's another news report that seems to just uh, uh, be overwhelming, I go to the Lord. I go to my knees. And that's the answer to all the stress problems. I just saw in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that all over Wall Street now, they have a whole hour, and, and many of the corporate leaders are, are into yoga and in, into Chinese mantras. And they're trying to calm their stress. And in some offices now, it's mandatory that you go and take yoga so that you can uh, calm yourself. Well, folks, we have a Savior. We have a promise. And we are going to be a testimony that we know how to handle stress. We've got a little room we go into. It's called the secret closet. Tell that to the world. Here, here's the world, here's the world uh, looking at crystals, hoping beings will come out of those crystals. And, and there are people doing yoga and quoting uh, Chinese mantras that they don't know what it means. Um, <laughs> then, then you tell them you've got a secret closet where you go and you come out strong. And they're going to say, you're crazy. You're stupid. What do you mean a secret closet? Well, what do you know about yoga? I've, I've got somebody that takes all my stress away. King of Kings. I meet him right in that little... You mean you meet God? Yes. We meet God in the secret closet of prayer. And then he, he goes on. He, he said in verse 8... And above all things, above all things, above all preparations, above everything you think about how to survive in the end times, he said, I'm going to give you word, and this, this is the issue. And you have to deal with this. And, and this is mind-boggling at first. He, he, he says, above all things, have fervent, on fire, mercy and love, for your brothers and sisters. He said, what he's saying, you're not, if you want to really know what survival is about, if you know where God is taking his people, you have to have this unconditional love for your brothers and sisters, where race has no, uh, there's, there's no barrier in race. No until this church has over 100 nationalities of all colors and all nations. And I, I want you to know this church is under attack for that very reason. Many times it would not be under attack if it were just all white or all black or all Hispanic. There are churches like that, and thank God for them. But this is a special thing that God is doing here in New York City and has done. A hundred or more nationalities loving one another without racial prejudice. And, and this is what the apostle says, Peter says, this is the issue now. That there is a love 
there's a, out, out in the front, it says, uh, Times Square Church, the church that love is building. It doesn't say the church that loves its building. It says the church that love is building. Hallelujah. He, he, he says, the reason for this is because this kind of love covers a multitude of sins. It covers a multitude of sins. Now, here's the issue, and I want you to listen very, very closely. Paul said, if you want to be ready for what God is going to do, because I'm going to show in just a minute that in the end times, and I've already told you, I gave away my secret before I started to preach. There's coming a latter rain of the Holy Spirit. We're going, to, we're going to go into that, and this is, where Paul, this is where Peter's going. This is where he's going with this message. What he's saying, what God's about to do cannot happen. It will be hindered unless these things are dealt with in the body of Jesus Christ. Anything of prejudice, any member of the body of Christ. Now, we can't forgive the, those who sin against God. We can't forgive those sins. We can't cover those sins. But, but he said, I can't move. The Holy Spirit is, is, is going to come in a great rain upon this earth. He said, it can't happen in a church. It can't happen among a people where there are those that are holding grudges, when there are those who say they love one another, but they can come and they can worship, they, can, they, they, they say I'm a part of the body of Jesus Christ here, and, and yet they come week after week, week after week, and they have not forgiven. They've not forgiven somebody who hurt or wounded them. They've not, hurt, they've, they've not resolved this issue. It just stays there day after day and week after week. And, and the Bible says we're not only to forgive, but we're to cover the sins of those who sinned against us. Now, it may have been a wife or husband, a divorce situation. It could have been a, a church, a, a whole group that wounded you and hurt you. It could be an individual or a group of individuals. It could be a husband, a wife. It could be family. And there are those sitting in this church now, and I say it with love and, and compassion. I'm telling you, this will hinder what God is going to do in the church it's going to hinder what he wants to do in your life and in your home. This has to be dealt with. Is there anyone that you, you have a difficult time forgiving? You say, well, I've forgiven, but I can't forget. Well, then you haven't forgiven. The Bible says, and, and this love that God expects of us is so vast and so all-encompassing, he said, now, you not only forgive, but you do everything you can to cover their sin. Don't broadcast. And this is what happens. Somebody grieves us, someone wounds us, someone rejects us, and we tell it everywhere. We get on the phone. I just have to get this off my heart. You'll never know what they did to me, and we name names, and we, we name places, and we go, we go down deep into this pit, and then we say, I, I'm only telling you this so you can pray with me. I'm only telling you this because I'm concerned about them, and they may lose the touch of God for what they did to me. You should be more concerned about whether you lose the touch of God 
because you didn't cover the sin. I can cover anyone who sins against me. I have that authority. I have, in fact, I'm commanded to do just that. And that's what the Apostle Peter is saying. This love, you want to be ready for all things. You'll be ready for the coming of the Lord. You want to be ready when the bottom drops out of everything. You want to be ready? Make sure that you have nothing hindering the flow of the Holy Spirit. There's something wonderful coming. I don't want to be left out. If you have wounded me, and I don't know about it, if you talked about my, me behind my back, and, and you wounded me, I, I, I'm glad I don't know, but I forgive you. I, don't, I, don't, I can't name a grudge I have against anybody, because I know what happens. I know I lose the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and I know that, that I, have, uh, I have roadblocks. I've got stumbling block in my life. You should be able to sit in this church today and, and, and go over in your memory of, of that thing that is in your heart. And some of you are visiting here. God's speaking to you too. Who is it? Who is it that you have such a hard time getting that out of your system? You, I just can't. I talked to a pastor recently. A group of ministers really hurt him. And uh, I was aware of the situation. Hurt him deeply. And I, I talked to him. He said, you know, Brother Dave, I, I've been preaching for years, but I just can't forgive him. I can't do it. And he said, my wife will never forgive. And she was in deep bitterness. This, this, he, he said, you want to be ready? There's a context here in which, a wide context that Peter's talking about. He, he's seeing something coming and he wants the church to be ready. Now, if, if all, all you want is for God to give you food and shelter, now, as a father, I want that for my children and grandchildren, and, and, and I want him to provide all my physical needs. He's promised to do that. You see, Peter didn't go there. He didn't go there about advice on, on physical preparations. He didn't go there because, you see, he knew poverty. He knew what it's like to not have a, a cent, a shekel in his pocket because the only money he had at times was, came out of a fish's mouth. Th this man had one change of clothes. He had one pair of sandals. This, this man had proven God's faithfulness, so that wasn't an issue with him. That, that, he can't even imagine Christians not believing that the Lord would provide. I've been down that way. He said, this is the preparation I want you to talk about. I, I want you to focus on. There's an issue here. I, I, I want you to look into your heart. And I, 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 you're to love even your enemies, the Scripture says. You know, Jesus didn't give advice on how to prepare physically other than in Jerusalem. He said, when you see the armies coming, flee from Jerusalem. You don't find him that. He, he says, don't give any thought about tomorrow because it's going to take care of itself. In other words, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, or what, how you're going to be clothed. Don't give it any thought. You won't find Jesus going there. You won't find Peter going there. You don't, the Apostle Paul doesn't go there. They had proven God. And you have proven God already. You have proven God faithful up to this hour. He's never failed you yet. 
He's brought you out of every situation. He's taken care of you financially. You are not in poverty. You have a roof over your head. You have food on your table. And he's going to see you through. All right, I want to go into this matter of the Spirit coming down. And this is, this, this is the context in which Peter is speaking now. He said there's a great rain coming. You'll find that uh, all through the New Testament, you find it in the prophets especially. There's a prophecy in the Old Testament that there's coming, there's been a former rain and there's a latter rain. The Bible talks about two rains. And, and Moses told Israel, he, he said, there can be no harvest unless there's a latter rain. The first rain, the early rain, came in the spring. And it watered the seed and the blade and the grass or, or, or the forming of it. But he said that it comes uh, before the harvest, before the full grain of corn, there has to be another rain. It's called the latter rain. Now, years ago, there was a, a, a Pentecostal movement called themselves the latter rain. Now, some say they got in. I don't know all the circumstances or the, <clears throat> the history of that movement. And they said it went into error. But they, they, they had a truth. They had something from the heart of God. And I believe he's going to restore this truth to the church of Jesus Christ. Moses said... There's an early rain, but there can be no harvest until there's a latter rain. Here's, here's the scripture. He will give you the rain in your land in due season, the first and the latter rain, so you may gather in the corn, the wine, and the oil. He said you'll have, you're going to have a rain that uh, ripens the harvest. And beloved... The early rain came at Pentecost in the upper room. That was the rain that watered the seed of the word, that, that watered the message of Jesus Christ, and it began to grow and spread. But now, folks, in the last days, when the world is trembling and gross darkness covers the world, there is no way Jesus would come without. Now, he can come at any moment, but he promises there will be a latter rain. And he says, ask rain in the time of the latter rain we're to ask rain the prophet said you're to believe god and ask him and believe that this latter rain is promised in the scripture and that is to come the prophet zachariah saw the outpouring of the spirit in the last days he said ask ye the lord rain in the time of the latter rain and the lord shall make bright clouds and he will give you showers of rain and everyone shall have grass in their field Everyone shall have grass. There's going to be a harvest. He said, the field is going to be ripe. Jesus said, they're white unto harvest. Now, Satan knows this. He knows what is written in the Scripture. He knows that there's a tremendous, incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit before the harvest. And he's going to come against the church of Jesus Christ, knowing what is coming, he saw what happened in the early rain. He saw the, the growth of the church around the world, every kindred and every tongue and every nation. And uh, he saw the power of the Holy Spirit. He saw what happens when the Holy Spirit comes down. And so 
the latter rain, Satan knows what is about to happen. Folks, there's, there's no way that the Lord is going to take his church out of this world limping and broken and fearful and just broken in spirit and mind and soul. No, 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 no. He's not coming and allow Islam to take over the harvest. He's not going to let anybody. The harvest is his. The harvest, the Bible said, is the end of the world. And we've come to the end of things. We've come to the beginning of the end. Now, I don't know how many years. I don't, I'm not going to go to the prophet, prophetic times. I don't know that much about what happens after Jesus comes. I've, I've not been a scholar in that at all. But I know from what I'm reading in the scriptures, and the more I read, the more my faith rises. There is a coming outpouring of the Holy Spirit beyond Pentecost beyond what happened in the upper room. But you see, Peter knew what had to happen. In early day Pentecost, they had what they call waiting on the Lord. They, in the upper room, they waited on the Lord. Now, they weren't waiting just for a calendar date. Pentecost was fully come. But God was doing something. He's doing just what Peter's talking about. There had to be forgiveness. Peter had to be forgiven. Because he wounded the body of Christ. He wounded every one of them. And, and there had to be an outflow of love in that upper room. And God's dealing with things. Peter could not stand up there and be anointed of the Holy Ghost. He can't stand there if people later, some of the apostles, uh, and there's James and John who, who had boasted they were better than the other disciples and had this pride. And they're sitting there. They have to be cleansed. They have to be forgiven by the body of Jesus Christ. And their sins have to be covered. They have to be able, those men have to be able to look at Peter later when the Holy Spirit gives him the authority and he preaches what the Pentecost is all about. And there can't be something in their heart was, who made you the leader? Who made you the pastor? Who made you, who gave you this special anointing? No, they sat back. They didn't care who got the honor. They knew the Holy Ghost was there and they were covering. Nobody dare speak against Peter because Peter is safe now in the house of God. He's among people who don't blab what Peter did. Nobody's talking about it in this upper room. They're talking about the Holy Ghost and they're getting free because they're loving, they're forgiving, and they're covering. Do you understand where Peter's going? He said there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and he comes only to those who are prepared. They were prepared in the upper room. Oh, folks, I still believe on waiting on the Lord. Yes, the Holy Ghost was given, but there's something about waiting in the presence of the Lord where he's allowed to deal with these issues in our heart. And so we can have this forgiveness and we, we, we can have the strength and power. It takes power to forgive. It takes even more power and grace to cover somebody's sin after they've wounded or rejected or hurt you. And God wants to pour out his spirit in this church as we have never known or seen. He, he wants to save multitudes. And he's going to do that. But first, he's coming to purge his body. He's coming to cleanse. And he's not doing it with a rod or a whip in his hand. He's doing it through brokenness and a humble word, a, a compassionate call. 
don't let anything hinder the glory of the Lord that's coming. Don't let anything hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit in your family. Don't let anything, don't, don't be a hindrance to the work of God and what he wants to do. Oh, if, if you belong, if, if you worship here at Times Square Church and you feel this is your church home, God help us all. Help me, help every pastor, help everyone in the choir and orchestra and everybody in this body to be able to walk through these doors and sit here and raise your hands and worship him and you know there's nothing there between you and the Lord. There's no hindrance that your heart is open. And if, you, if you've been sinning, if you failed God, you come to the blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, the blood has never lost its power. And I have to believe that he will give us through the power of his blood. It, the cross is not in vain. It's not been in vain. If there is not a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in these last days, why was there an early Pentecost? Why was there an early rain? And look at all these, all of these many years since the first outpouring, the early rain. Do you mean to tell me that the, the Lord, when we need the Holy Ghost the most, when we need the Holy Ghost to survive daily, when we need the power of the Holy Ghost to be His witness, when, when everything is shaking and the darkness is here, we have got to have an anchor. We, the Holy Spirit comes to reveal Christ. He comes to dig deep into our spirits to make us vessels made worthy through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And what Zechariah said is, wake up, church. The Holy Spirit and the glory is going to fall upon nations. So many people feel helpless. But folks, this, this can't be worked up. This is a prophetic word, and you have to allow and ask the Holy Spirit to increase your faith, to believe and stand on His Word. Haggai stands before a discouraged people. They're, they're remembering the glory of the old temple. The old tabernacle is gone. And now God is doing a new work. And they're, they're building a temple now that seems so insignificant to what God did in the past. And, and they're standing, they're weeping, and the prophet Haggai, I think it's in the chapter, he says, uh, I see you looking at what God is doing here now. He said, some of you lived then, who was 60 to 70 years apart, and some of them are still living. And when they were young, they saw the glory of that first work of God. What a great work God did back then. You hear that a lot about the revivals of the past, what God did back then. And all the glory we had and all the wonderful meetings we had and people got saved and we carried half the night and, and that's wonderful. Thank God. Thank God. I have those wonderful memories hidden in my heart. And the prophet looked at these people downcast and, and looking at that and, and, and he, he says, who's left among you that saw the house in its first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as if it's nothing? Do you understand what this is saying? Some of us 
who walked with God for years, we remember the movings of the Holy Spirit, remember the great things God did. But the prophet Haggai says, now, look at now, you're discouraged and you, you, you think that this is nothing and that, that we are, we're just waning in zeal, that there's no glory left. And, and we've, we've been overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the darkness. We've been so overwhelmed with what is happening. We get overwhelmed at the fury of the devil. We get overwhelmed at the homosexual uh, militancy and, and, and our courts making laws that we don't agree with and never asked for, never voted for. And we, we get overwhelmed with the fury of Satan among us. We get overwhelmed with the darkness, overwhelmed with the thought we've sinned away our day of grace, overwhelmed with fears and doubts, and that's what happened. They're saying, in their minds they're saying, well, this is nothing. We have nothing to rejoice about. God's not doing anything. This is so insignificant. Oh, Haggai says, fear not. And God said this in Haggai 2.5, my spirit remains among you. My spirit is still at work. And then he turns to the people and says, I'm telling you, the glory of this house is going to be greater than the first house. The rain that's coming is greater than the early rain. There's a latter rain. So take away that frown. Lift up holy hands because the rain is coming. And God's Spirit is moving. And I'm not going to let the devil let me be downcast. I don't want my eyes on, on what God is doing to say it's so insignificant. America has not sinned away its day of grace. The world has not sinned away its day of grace. The revival is just begun. The rain is beginning to fall. Hallelujah. I got so excited last night because I was reading in the book of Revelation. He said, first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn of the ear. See, everything's ripening now. And the scripture says in Revelation 14, 15, thrust in the sickle and begin to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And then I, I went on and I read this in Revelation 14, 14, the verse prior to what I've just read to you. And I, I got so excited. I, I went into the bedroom. Gwen was retiring. I'd been in my study last night. And I said, Gwen, I'm, I am shouting inside. And I walked back and forth in our apartment down the street. Behold, he comes in a cloud. A crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. What's a sickle? It's that long harvesting thing, got a big sharp blade on it where you just mow down the harvest. And the Bible says of our Christ, hallelujah. He's not there just hoping the saints will hold on. He's not there surprised at the darkness. Behold, he comes in a white cloud 
Say it with me. A crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. That makes me want to jump. A crown on his head. Say it. A crown on his head and a sickle in his hand. Folks, it's harvest time. On Wall Street, in the Bowery, uptown, downtown, New Jersey, and all over this nation and around the world. Glory to God. It's harvest time. It's beginning to rain. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? Will you stand? Do you see what Peter's saying now, folks? Remove everything that hinders because the glory is coming. Like you've never seen or know or experienced the glory of the Lord. And you know what that glory is? The manifest presence of Jesus Christ. We will know his presence as we've never known it. We will know him as we've never known him. And people are going to be open to the gospel. He's going to melt hard hearts. And many others he's going to bring through calamity. Where they have no place to turn but to God. And we will be ready with a message of hope and not despair. Now, in prayer, I asked the Holy Spirit how I was to close this service. And it's simply this. The Holy Spirit made known to me, I don't know how many, but in the overflow balcony here in the main auditorium, there's some of you here that have a hindrance. This thing has become, uh, has a stranglehold on you. It's a root of bitterness, a root. And that root has to come out. And it's dug in and you, you don't want it anymore. You want to be free of this. You've carried it long enough. And I believe God hears when we pray, if we agree together, two or three agree together concerning anything on earth, it shall be done of the Father in heaven. And I want to pray with you. I want God to remove that hindrance, but you have to want it. You have to humble yourself. That's right. Humble yourself. You're not caring what anybody says or think. And there has to be something rise up you and says, I want to walk out of this church today free. I want to walk out of this church without this chain on me. Without this burden. You, you have felt and seen the agony. And if you don't forgive, it's going to come around. And whatever you did comes back in like manner in another way. And you face it again and again. Face it now. And let the Holy Spirit bring you to a place of victory and free you. And you'll know a freedom and a joy like you haven't experienced in a long time. Uh, Greg ministered to us for a moment in song. And 
I want you to just step out. If you don't know Christ, you can come now, and he'll come and reveal himself to your heart and change your life. If you've been drifting away from Christ, if you're backslidden to your heart, follow these that are coming. And the balcony up there, just go down the stairs on either side and come down these aisles and main turn come. Just humble yourself and say, Pastor Dave, I want you to pray for me. I want freedom. I don't want to carry this burden any longer. I know that takes a lot of grace. But it's that important. It's life and death. That's it. Just follow these that are coming. Help me to know that you are near. Do you know that he's near you right now? Do you know he said, my spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit hasn't left you. The Holy Spirit brought you down to the aisle to the front of this church for prayer. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You begin there thanking the Lord for that. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for loving me and dealing with my heart. And look this way for just a minute. You took a humble step, boldly to step out and acknowledge your need. Now, you're among friends. You're safe in this house. Nobody's wondering what your problem is or who you have a struggle with. Nobody's thinking that. They're just anxious for you to come through to victory, come through to peace with God. Will you pray this prayer with me before I pray with you, Lord Jesus? I do humble myself and I come to you for forgiveness. Lord, I have a problem. I have this root in me. I'm asking you to pluck it out. I'm asking you to forgive me and help me to forgive and cover the sins of all those who have hurt me. Lord Jesus, I want to be free. I want to be free right now. So I cast this in your feet. I give it to you. Cleanse me. In Jesus' name, I receive healing of every hurt and every root to be plucked out. Now let me pray for you. Lord, I know you hear when we pray. I know you hear when we cry out to you in our need. And I pray, Lord, that you do that by your spirit right now. Just move in and among us. He said, I'm among you. I, I, I am with you. He said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And, Lord, we come fearlessly now. We come boldly to the throne of grace. We ask you, Lord, to help us to face this and say, I don't want it anymore. I don't want anything unlike Christ in me. I want to be free. I want the glory of Christ in my life. I want the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I need a new baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I, I, I need this from you now, Jesus. We need to hear from you. Cleanse and sanctify. Change us, God, by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, you have come down and you are breathing on this church. And you're breathing throughout the land. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, just raise a hand or both hands to the Lord. And say, I believe. I believe, Lord, right from your heart. I believe you, Lord, for cleansing and healing. Nothing between my soul and my Savior. Nothing between. Hallelujah. Now, you can be free right now if you receive by faith the word of the Lord. You can be free. 
Beloved, we are, with this I close, we are delivered, we're set free by the word of the Lord. Accepted and believed by faith. If this is your church, and if, if, this not, if you're visiting from another country, if you're visiting from another church, uh, just go to your pastor and say, Pastor, I believe rain's coming. I, I believe there's a great harvest. And I want to be one of the first to start praying and believing in that direction. Spread the word. Hallelujah. Folks, God's about to shut down every so-called revival that features the flesh. It's all coming down. They're not going to be able to afford it anymore. The, the money's going to dry up. And it's going to be genuine. Not going to have any stars. Not going to feature any preachers or evangelists. It's going to be ordinary people. Just like you. Just like me. Just be ordinary people. And it's going to be people and pastors that step out of the way and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Hallelujah. Wonderful. Would you turn to two or three people and say, it's going to rain? It's going to rain. I want you to believe that.